Episode 1. Birth of Sabocat. Lights 350 and sound 84. Testing 1, 2, testing 1, 2. Progress is born of agitation. It is agitation or stagnation. I've taken my choice. Los sindicatos, tu voz en tu lugar de trabajo. This is I'm Courtney Cunningham, recording with Josh Hewitts on March 15th, 2019. Josh, where did the idea of Sabocat come from? Uh, Sabocat originated uh, was a delegate to Southern Oregon Central Labor Chapter, AFL-CIO delegation that goes up to the national level. The chairman, Rodney, Rodney McCambridge, had caught wind that I used to spend a lot more time writing in theaters, and he had waxed nostalgic and brought up the idea of big labor public service announcements, commercials, 30-second spots that he used to see when he was a kid here on the radio, uh, see on television that were not specific. They were just the broad value of the labor movement in society. So he had asked me basically to write two 30-second spots, and we had spent some time discussing his memories and uh, why they were important to him. I basically rode home from that meeting and got two ideas for the radio spots in my head. And when I got home, I just jotted them down, wrote the script. Then I thought to myself, well, 30 seconds, public service announcements, which I've done before, are pretty hard to bring in by language. So I wanted to test it on mic because it's really 27 seconds with a three-second tagline, which I'll probably have. So production-wise, it's just a good thing to test. I discovered that I work on a crew that can do this pretty easily. Uh, the International Alliance of the Actual Stage Employees, we are theater technicians in the case of my local. So I you know, work with sound engineers, and I pretty much asked Saibi, Saibi Kalsa, if we could just go to the studio and give it a test. I recorded them, and then they just kept rattling around in my head. Really, that was the end of what Rodney had asked me to do. But it just felt too good to let go, so I ended up where I was working universes with William Ninja Ruiz, who was performing with universes. And over a beer, I just kind of kept saying, I have this idea. I think it's a really good idea. I'm volunteering my time for labor. Would you mind coming in and doing this? Ninja recorded, join now. And that felt like a really good voice. At that point, I had almost casually, accidentally created a pretty good radio spot. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it in the studio. Ninja seemed to enjoy it. We were just rolling along. I recorded, actually, Never Paid Dues, and that felt good, and I kept that cut. Then we, you know, spliced in finished product with tagline, a little bit of intro music, etc. It just felt like a really good voice that we could keep going. Uh, and everybody's really generous. We don't get paid for this. I just literally said, would you mind volunteering your time for labor or, you know, for the union? Everybody said yes, so that got the ball rolling. That's incredible. And tell me, what is Sabacat? At this point, it's about a 12-person production company that is dedicated to that original vision of broad concepts for labor, bringing it to the public, hopefully in an entertaining, artistic way. Uh, as theater people, now we have Actors' Equity Association members working with us, uh, and as you know, people who spend a lot of time in theater, 
being entertaining always feels important. If, you, if you're not entertaining and catching people's attention, they're not really listening anyway is kind of the golden rule. So, yeah, it's just kind of blossomed into, you know, we'll take on some of that big picture. There are many important things that happen, negotiations, logistics uh, that labor brings to the table, resources. Often because, because there's always so much fight, it's difficult to take a breath and reestablish labor in a social movement concept. So SaboCat offered to take that on basically free of charge. I see. Why is it called SaboCat? SaboCat comes from many alliterations of the Sabo Tabby, which is an IWW icon that they used to use on posters. You can kind of picture a Halloween cat. The original purpose, though nobody really knows its origins, was to indicate general strike they needed something iconic and something that didn't say or use the word strike or sabotage. Because back in those days, you could literally get shot at for saying those words. Uh, this was early IWW stuff, uh, industrial workers of the world. Before we enjoyed the federal safety guarantees that we have now, it was dangerous work. Also, unions are really the original melting pot. So they had a lot of immigrants, many of which didn't speak English. And so they need an iconic visual that they could publicize when it was time to really dig in your heels. And it was basically a work stoppage, stop working, walk out of the job. That full power philosophically felt very important to the mission that SaboCat is trying to fulfill. Uh, yeah, so we use that as our logo. That's so fascinating. I love that. It's so rich in history. Who is SaboCat? There are about 12 of us now. There's Actors' Equity, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. We have an engineer. We have about three or four rotating voice talent. Uh, I do most of the writing and most of the concept work so far. Uh, and we have editor, uh, basically a whole lot of people coming together and just uh, fulfilling production from beginning to end. Uh, distribution is next, so we're working with a webmaster to put out somewhere where people can actually find the material and pass it along. Uh, check the credits later. We'll have a full proper list of everyone involved or go to the website. <laughs> Not such a small list of people for a, you know, a volunteer-based labor project. Yeah, it That's added great. up quickly. That's excellent. How did you go about building it? Well, after it's written... I rough it for time, and so usually it's me on the microphone just saying it, and then I actually I, I listen to things over and over again just to really understand. Uh, it's such a fast production model, um, and we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants, and it's a great luxury to be able to come up with an idea, write it down, and just put it to the mic. Then I get a chance to refine it. Uh, finding the right voice for the piece is very key. Finding the people that match it is very key. And then I come in, I do a little bit of directing, though I have to say the voice talent really has you know, had a good understanding and has done a lot of work themselves. Then we have an opportunity to just tinker with it and raise the production value, refine it. So I tend to follow for this a, a rough cut uh, method where it's just a rough cut of a new work. Then from there, it gets developed and developed and developed. Awesome. What's in the works? What pieces are you doing now? Uh, let's see. Last, I laid down with Kevin Kennerly a 1908 Eugene V. Debs speech. 
that I literally found in a free book on the sidewalk. It was like contemporary speeches of the 19th century. And so I picked it up and I was flipping through it and I saw Debs. Debs gets quoted a lot. He's the original humanitarian laborist. So less logistics, more philosophical. He was a pretty strong socialist. He was nominated as the socialist candidate in 1908. It's a beautiful piece that felt really relevant. Uh, so I got Kevin Kennerly, a great voice actor who came in and laid out the entire speech accurate to as it was recorded in 1908. So we're kind of working on editing that and putting together some nice intro music from one of the musicians uh, who's in the local. One of our volunteers is a musician, has a great stock of Americana music that I think will really suit. And then another piece that's a little bit softer and funnier and trying to bring that speech into today's time. And then we've had a few discussions with not-for-profits about actually going out with like uh, seasonal workers, different groups in the community that are not labor, but are definitely their equivalent of rank and file. And doing interviews, cultivating them to create their own audio and their own kind of diaries. Very excited to see where that leads. Uh, All those are kind of in the works, working ahead. Can we hear any of those radio spots? Uh, Absolutely. I guess this will be a premiere. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That's just, that's just rough. They did that and your boss actually said that? You shouldn't have to deal with that at work, especially at work. You're totally right. Is that even legal? I don't know what to tell you. Except you should talk to your union. What? You don't have a union? Then I do know what to tell you. Join your union now. Unions, your voice in the workplace. I've never paid a union and I'm doing just fine. What have unions ever done for me? I mean, sure, there's that whole ending child labor in America thing, standing up to corporate greed thing, and the raising wages for all workers and fighting to maintain a safe work environment, and the 40-hour work week, and vacation, sick time, pensions, the weekend. But I never joined a union, and I'm doing just fine. This episode featured Courtney Cunningham, Joshua Hewitt, and William Ninja Ruiz. I'm Armando Duran, and we stole this end credit gag from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Now that we've looked back at the beginning of Sabocat Audio Productions, let's take a little break between episodes to meet some friends of mine. Is it working? Yay! <laughs> I, I am Jane Hernandez, and I came from California. My name is Kyle C. Strait, speaking with and on behalf of Sabocat and IATSE Local 154. It is sunny as crap outside, and we're in Ashland, Oregon. My name is Mozart Pearson, and this is Sabocat. Hello, my name is Cesar Marin. I'm a stagehand at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I've been a stagehand there for roughly six years. All four are members of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, Local 154, as am I. They work on the stage operations crew at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, or OSF, as do I. They sat in front of the mic to answer what the local means. It was a chance to unpack the personal, 
what's and why's of forming our local labor union. Question so big, it's going to be its own episode. Till then, a quick cut collage of some things that we covered. I can't, I don't know. Which I think means that I made the right decision because I'm not sure how I got here. I think a year went by where Tommy would ask me, when are you going to work for me? And I would say, let's do it. And it wouldn't happen. You want to work for me? Yes. Nothing happened. And then finally one year, I think my, I had more time. So Tommy asked me, are you going to work for me? And I said, yes, let's get this going. The working conditions were not deplorable uh, because we did watch each other's backs. However, the safety practices were largely ignored. We, as a collective unit, not being in a union, not having a lot of support when it came to our managers or anyone outside of here, we came together and started making sure we were all safe. We checked in with one another. We would double check everything. We will double question everything. We just were more in tune with ourselves and one another to make sure we were all a safer environment to work in. What do I do now for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival? I made it in. Yay. <laughs> um, I move heavy things and I run shows and it's delightful. It's a lovely group of people. And I get paid to do it on a regular basis. Not stipends. There's a lot of stipends. I worked for a lot of stipends in California. You know, from when I was in college, I'd heard about unionization. People didn't really talk about it when I was in school. They were like saying, uh, it's, it's an opportunity, but um, like, don't take it right away because it might limit you from work. Various payroll abuses. They were, they were not paying me for a lot of work that I did. And my wages were very low. A disparity that was pretty egregious considering that the top earners were making well over $200,000 a year. And, of course, you know, getting their vacation and having opportunities to go work elsewhere while still on salary at OSF. Mmm. Well, freelance work. I am not very good at valuing my own self. And so I say yes to everything for anything. And I'm like, hmm, maybe you need me to build this whole show with volunteers for $1,200, load it in, make sure everything's fine, and then take it back out again with volunteers and it takes a month and I get paid two dollars don't do the math don't ever do the math with the stipends it's real bad <laughs> the first time I'd actually heard someone say that it was not a good idea it was in a city that did not have a lot of union theaters and they said it will probably be more of an impact on your wallet than it would be to actually just work outside of the union. And I was like, okay. So there were, I think the thing was is that I knew that I needed to be near a place that had a lot of opportunity for theater. If there were a lot of theater houses around, there's more likeliness that they're going to have a union theater. So that was all I knew about union as far as that time was going. Being thrown into this situation, which was a shift, it was, it was, I was very nervous. I was very concerned with my own safety because I didn't get formal training. Here you are with these other groups of people who have been doing this for an odd amount of years. We were salaried workers, and so uh, the opportunity to get the job done faster enabled us to get hypothetically paid more per hour. But what this did is it resulted in a substandard product. We, we were pretty much throwing smoke and mirrors up in front of ourselves as well as the audience when our job is just to put it up in front of the audience. The first thing they had me do on my first day was put me right into the um, pit in the lift 
right in the front of the four stage of Bomer, and I was like, okay, and like, and I was not anticipating that I would have any welcoming as I was coming in, but I was just like, after the first time I got to meet y'all, I didn't even anticipate that you guys would remember my name. <laughs> the really unfortunate situation with uh, what we call colloquially call speed shifting is the verbal abuse. What it, what it does is it, it brings up a high stress environment that not everybody can deal with in a in a manner befitting respect for your coworker. Quite often, you end up with a very uh, backbiting, snipey type of dialogue, which results in personality conflicts becoming actual conflicts. There were some physical altercations. There was plenty of threat of physical altercation, of which in no situation is going to turn out okay. The way stage jobs ran was a lot of people just being crude to each other, being really mean, and, and they didn't take the time to teach you. It was more of like, you have to hit the ground running, and you better learn by the end of the shift. When I arrived at OSF, we had already unionized. So I think we unionized the year before. We were still real fresh. So I didn't know what went into that. And I had done some, some overhire calls for 134, and that is much different because it's like a giant group of really old grumpy dudes that are there only for the money. But then I'm like one of, you know, five girls, maybe. It's just crusty old men being grumpy. And you're like, why do you do this job? Do you like it? I don't know why you're here. Because I'm here because I really like to do these things. Being part of early discussions about, we're talking deep clandestine shit, talking to co-workers who were part of the organization drive before the one that we succeeded with, very quietly on the back deck, looking over our shoulders, making sure management doesn't hear us, asking about it, asking what went wrong, asking why. Why did they want to do it then? Is it the same as now? Yeah, it's the same shit. Is it getting worse? Yes. How's it getting better? So uh, there was no specific point where I went, hey, union now. I'm really new to unions, and I, I guess I was still fairly new to OSF. So I was in this odd place where there was a lot of conflicts. So there was a lot of people I worked with who had been at OSF for already 10 plus years who have felt that the way things are running are fine, that they weren't, I don't know if they just were afraid of changing or afraid of new things. But when I got there, things were in place and no one wanted to change. And I feel like once we started talking about unionizing, people were just more open to the idea of things can change, things can be better. No voice before, voices were being suppressed at some point. You know, it felt like there was suppression when managers would just tell people to just don't worry about that even simply just being told not to worry about that that's just a huge violation you know and and i just don't think people were confident to know where what their rights were they need us i think then more than we need them we are more important to them than they than they are to us because like being able to have that opportunity and kinmanship that was what the union brings to as far as like the osf is that we, we bring this kind of kinmanship and we're not going to be pushed around we're not going to be thought of like uh as just you know meatheads it's fine <laughs> i did it anyway yeah i'm safe i'm in a safe place <laughs> empty at my 